العظيم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم We praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he is that being that is worthy of being praised he is the being who guides us and benefits us and allows us, keeps us in safety and keeps us protected and from dangers and harms coming to our way and we send peace and blessings upon Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and upon his wives and his family and his progeny and his companions and all those that followed them in their ways <coughs> so this week uh, going on to Al-Mu'min the next name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what does that mean to you guys Al-Mu'min Believer, that's what, we, that's what we think, right? Believer. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, refers to us as mu'mineen, right? Which is the plural, mu'min. Believers, believer. Any other ideas? What would it mean? Is, if we said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a believer, what does that mean? How does that make sense? So Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, he said that <coughs> al-mu'min is derived from the word iman. Right? Mu'min, the derivative of mu'min is iman. So iman is belief, and mu'min is a believer. But the concept of iman comes from two different verbs. One, one word, which is, one verb, which means tasdiq, to affirm something or affirm someone, something, some concept. And this we can understand from Surah Yusuf, wherein the children of Yaqub, the brothers of Yusuf, they had returned, and Yusuf was not with them. So Yaqub asks them that, what happened to your brother? And they said that, وَمَا أَنْتَ بِمُؤْمِنٍ لَنَا وَمَا أَنْتَ بِمُؤْمِنٍ لَنَا That you would not believe us, even though we are truthful. So mu'min is used here for belief, that you would not believe us. And then they go on and tell Yaqub they lie and they say that you know, he was eaten by a wolf. The other verb that mu'min comes from is aman. And aman means the granting of asylum, or giving security or safety, some peaceful haven to, to a person or thing. The opposite of which means uh, frightening, right? So to give asylum or safety to somebody who is frightened or who has been terrorized. And this we can understand because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Quraysh, Surah Quraysh, He says, وَآمَنَهُمْ مِنْ خَوْفِ That uh, we gave them security and safety from their, their fright, from what scared them. And so Imam Ghazali rahimullah for this reason he says that al-mu'min when referred to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means the loyal or the faithful the faithful one but not faith in meaning I don't think he means faithful in terms of you know he believes right as we believe but that he's loyal to his subjects meaning he's loyal to us because he grants us safety and security So then uh, you know some of the ulama they go into a discussion saying that if we if we say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being mu'min is derived from the concept of tasdiq, that he's affirming something, then there's a lot of proofs for that in the Qur'an. And it is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, Shahidallahu annahu la ilaha illahu. He says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bears witness that there is no deity except him. So this is interesting. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't simply say la ilaha illahu, but he says shahidallahu. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bears testimony. He witnesses this fact. And this is important because oftentimes we'll find people make a claim but they have no basis for their claim. Right? People even of other faiths sometimes. 
right? Sometimes, like a Christian missionary uh, uh, would come and say, you know, start preaching what they believe. And when you ask them, where does it say that Isa Islam says, I am God, worship me? They can't point out a single verse for that. They'll point out verses that might give some type of indication that they interpret to mean the Isa Islam. So like I, I asked somebody once, a missionary, that where does it say, I am God, worship me? And they gave the verse where Isa Islam said, follow God. And they said something to this extent. I don't, I'm not quoting exactly. but the um, And so his followers or the people around Isa Islam, they said, uh, how do we follow God when we do not know him? And he said, do you not know me? So they said, see, he's saying that he's God here. So we say, no, that means follow his sunnah, right? Just like we say, follow the sunnah of Rasulullah At that time, follow the sunnah of Isa Islam. So there's claims made, but there's no basis for it. Even within uh, the history of Islam in this ummah, we find there were some batil sects, some uh, incorrect sects that had emerged in early, the early uh, period of Islam. One such sect was the Mu'tazila. So they were people who believed, they said that if you sin, you are outside the fold of Islam. A single sin that you commit, you're now a kafir, you, you're a disbeliever, right? And so when the question was posed to them that, or the, rather they said that you are no longer a Muslim. So when the question was posed, so then if they're not a Muslim, does that mean they are a kafir, that they disbelieve? They said, now how are you going to say that somebody's a disbeliever, right? When they clearly still believe in Allah and His Messenger sallallahu So the, the Mu'tazila said, no, they are bayna manzilatain. They have a, a place between two, like they're on the fence. They're not a Muslim, but they're not a disbeliever either. They're not Muslim, they're not a non-Muslim either. So they made this claim, however we find no reference to anything like this in the Qur'an. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the messengers to preach La ilaha illallah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself says Shahidallahu annahu la ilaha illahu That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself bears witness. So what happens? He's affirming that there is no deity except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, clearly written in the text. And this is important to note that when it comes to aspects of aqidah, in Islam it is very clear Right? You cannot use something abstract and ambiguous to prove a point of aqidah, right? a basic foundation of aqidah. You know, so for example, if somebody wants to, like right, you had the, the Qadiani group, right? I don't know if people know about this, they're very prevalent in Pakistan, India. Yeah. What is aqidah? Sorry, aqidah is uh, faith, right? So we have um, fiqh, uh, which is like uh, the laws, outward laws, and aqidah is our belief system, our creed, dealing with our heart, right, what we believe. So there was a group in, in Pakistan and in India that were, became, they became known as the Qadianis or Ahmadis. And they claimed that this person who led this group, his name was Mirza Ghulam Ahmad. They said he is a prophet after the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi um, And this is like in the last century or something like that, right, not very long ago. And when they, when they were asked, well, how, is he, how do you prove that he's a prophet? Because there's no prophet after Rasulullah They quoted the verse uh, in the Qur'an where Isa Salam is telling his people about the final messenger Wasallam, and he says, Ismuhu Ahmad, his name will be Ahmad. So this person comes along and says, see, my name is Ahmad. So the, the ulama said there's so, so many people named Ahmad. Like this is, you can't, this is ambiguous, you know, you can't use this for some type of uh, foundational aqidah point that you are a messenger after. Right, the, the Prophet of Allah. Then there were other, even before, right, after Rasulullah passed away, there were people who got clever and they said, no, the Prophet in a hadith, he says, La Nabi Abadi, that there's no Nabi after me. So there was a woman who came and said that she was a Prophet. She said, no, no, I, I'm not saying anything against what the Prophet said. He said, La Nabi Abadi. He didn't say, La Nabi Atun Badi, right? La Nabi 
Tun, which would denote a feminine prophet. So she said, no, I'm, you know, he said there's no male prophet. He didn't say there's no fem- feminine female prophet. Another person said, no, he said, uh, my name is La. So, La, like, La is the prophet after me. So people come up with like weird, ambiguous things, right? When it comes to aqidah, it's very simple. Amantu billahi wa kutubihi wa rusulihi. Right? It's very clearly outlined in the Quran what our foundational beliefs are. When you go deeper into aqidah, then you start bringing in logical proofs and deductions. But that's deeper into aqidah, right? Um, but when it comes to the foundation, it has to be very clear. Uh, another example of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala making tasdiq. He says in Surah Fat, uh, Rasulullah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that He is the one, Allah is the one who sent His Messenger with guidance and with the, the religion of truth so that it may prevail and be manifest over all other religions. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sufficient as a witness. Muhammadur Rasulullah, that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is the messenger of Allah. So from this, right, and then also, uh, yeah, so from this, uh, the ulama say, this, this shows Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mu'min because he is affirming uh, the, the, those things that he has stipulated for us to believe. He is affirming these concepts of Islam. Uh, however, I, I feel that mu'min is more appropriate to be understood from the other context, the other verb, which is aman. Which means that he is the one who grants safety and security, right? And this, we can understand, the author says, that we can understand this from circumstances of this life and the hereafter. How do we understand this from this life? We can understand it from this life because in this world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who gives security and safety um, and he conveys us the means, he gives us the means and the tools to attain that security and that safety. Right, so he is the one. Aman means to give safety and security, and as Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Wa amanahum min khawf," that He gives them safety and security against their fears. When they had fear, He gave them. He brought them to safety and security. So, from all the dangers of this dunya, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala grants us that security and safety in it, and He gives us the tools to be able to, to so that we may attain safety. Then Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, he min- mentions an interesting point. He says. To understand safety and security, we can only understand it if you first feel fear. That you cannot understand and realize safety and security without having experienced fear. And he gives an example that if you have a, a, a man who is blind in one eye, he has fear of losing the other eye. So he's felt the fear of having, uh, not having perfect vision. So because of that one eye which is blind, he feels fear out of losing sight in the other eye. So the other eye provides him safety and security. Right? from what he's missing. He's felt that fear and he's felt that danger. Now he can understand what safety is. He says similarly, if you have a person who is uh, in amputee, right? one arm is missing, one arm has been cut off or whatever. He's missing one arm. He knows what it's like to not have that one arm. He knows the dangers that come, the difficulty that there is because he only has one arm. And so the other arm provides him safety and security because now he knows he can be thankful for that other arm. And when any, uh, any harm is coming, towards the arm that is amputated or the arm that is broken or the arm that is uh, disabled, he can protect himself with the sound arm. So the sound arm becomes mu'min. The sound arm becomes the one that, is, that gives safety and security to the arm that is broken or, or amputated. And then the ulama, they write that you can, 
further understand this in our context, right? That, uh, for example, if you're driving a car, there's tons and tons of dangers. I mean, there's dangers at every moment when you're driving a car. There's other drivers on the road. There's yourself falling asleep. There's yourself becoming negligent to what's in front of you. There's your hand slipping, right? And then all the you know funny and weird things people do in the car. Like you'll sometimes women will apply makeup in the car while they're driving, right? People will get on their cell phones, right? People will eat while they're driving, drink coffee while they're driving. Sometimes there was a friend of mine. He used to <laughs> he drew, drove a stick shift, and he was holding the phone with one hand, and he was driving with the other, and then he needed to change gears. So he held the phone with his shoulder, and he's driving with one hand, and he's trying to change the gear with the other, right? So people are doing all kinds of funny things, all these dangers on our way. And so if you don't, but you don't feel any fear, right? And then when a moment comes that somebody cuts you off, all of a sudden, the danger is realized. The danger is realized, and then you realize what safety you had. After the fear is felt, you realize what safety you had. Or if you have a car accident, you were completely oblivious to what could have happened. Once the car accident happens and you come out safe and sound, right? the, t- the car gets totaled and you come out of it without anything damaged. Now you felt the fear that laid before you. You could have died, but not a single scratch you have on you. So now that's, then that safety and security is felt. And this is also important to understand why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala afflicts us with tribulations and difficulties. For fear also comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He also created fear. Why, what, some of the reasons He allows these things to happen is so that it can lead us to shukr. It can lead us to be thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for allowing us, for, for having given us safety and security. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So a question is posed that what is the, uh, what is the basis of insan? Is the basis, is the asl, they're, they're Original state is it in a state of fear or is it in a state of safety and security? What do you guys think? Safety and security, or fear? I don't know. I, I link fear with danger, right? And Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, fear is different than danger, right? Sometimes people can be in a state of danger but not feel any fear. But Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he says mentions in a hadith. Uh, it's mentioned in the hadith that he drew a line. He took a stick and he drew a line in the, in the sand. And he says, this is your life. And then he crossed it, right? At every, like several times throughout this line, he crossed it. You guys want me to draw it? There's markers this time. Should I draw it? Yeah. Right, so Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa he takes a stick and his sahaba are standing there and he draws a line, right? And then he says, this is your life, right? This is the start of your life. Right? This is the end of your life. And then he draws lines coming across it, going all the way up and down, several lines, all the way, all the way. And then he stops. And he says, this is your life, and this is death. All these other lines are death. Death is coming to you at every single moment, just trying to catch you. When you surpass this point, you've reached old age. So this tells us that there's danger constantly around us at every step of the way, but we don't realize it. So possibly, maybe our, the original state is fear. I think... It's a mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He allows us to be, have a little bit of heedlessness, a little bit of forgetfulness. Because if we weren't, then we'd constantly be in a state of paranoia. And maybe some of us have seen those people who are constantly in a state of paranoia. Right? My father, for his job, he used to um, write reports as to all the things that could go wrong in, uh, when, he, when they were disposing of nuclear waste. So everything that could go wrong, from the transferring of it and every aspect, right? Now he's totally become like that that when he walks into a room, he just sees all the dangers that are there, 
right? There's a glass on the, at the end of the table, and he'll see, like, that could fall, and the kids are there, and it'll break, and then it'll shatter, and then they'll get cut in their foot, and he sees it all, and he'll say, it every, say everything, right? Alhamdulillah, it's not, like, to an extreme point. So some people go into an extreme state of paranoia, right? Every small thing, they will be paranoid that there's dangers. And there are dangers, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of His mercy, He allows us to be a little bit heedless of them so that we can live our life, right? And not, not uh, seclude ourselves and corner ourselves. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Imam Ghazali says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who created all of our senses and all of our limbs. And He removed the causes of fear. He removed all the causes of fear for us by creating our limbs. He, cre- he gave us the senses to gain information and learn uh, about those things that would cause our destruction and cause difficulty. So He gave us these senses so that we can realize what things will bring harm to us, and then find a way out for us, right? Our senses allow us to do that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sometimes He directly allows us to come out of these difficulties. Sometimes He gives us the senses or the tools that we're able to come out of these difficulties. Right? When I was in South Africa, we were, my parents came after my graduation and we were driving to Cape Town. It was like a 15-hour drive. So my brother was driving and, you know, it's like people are going fast. It's two lane, one way each way. And you start passing people. So I was asleep in the back. My brother's driving. And there was a truck, a semi-truck going up a hill, and it was going incredibly slow. So the first two cars between us and the truck passed it. My brother goes to pass it, and as he's going, now he was kind of, it was a, it was a stick shift in the manual, and he was still getting used to it. So I don't know, maybe he shifted too late or something. He didn't accelerate as fast as he, he could have. And there's another car coming, and it was way too close. There's another car coming, and the, the other car, the car behind the car directly in front of us was also trying to pass that car. So I think this, this area was like, it was a three-lane road, right? So they gave us room to pass. We we're going to pass, and the car from the other side gets in the way. And I, I didn't witness it. I was asleep. But my brother was shocked. He's looking because he's now right next to the semi-truck, this like 20-foot, 25-foot truck. He can't speed up fast enough to get in front of it. He can't slow down fast enough to get behind it. And there's a car in front of him, and there's a car in the other lane, totally sandwiched between everything. He said he has absolutely no idea how you didn't get, we didn't get hit. He just all of a sudden like blinked and we were in front of the truck. Like he was shocked. He has no idea. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly he took us and he put us, brought us to safety, right? And then sometimes the tools are given to us that we are able to be safe, right? Uh, we're able to bring safety to ourselves. So those are some of the examples of safety in the dunya. Then you have... The, the safety of the akhirah, the safety of the hereafter. How does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us safety? Or what is the fear of the hereafter? That is the, the greatest fear, right? To face eternal damnation, right? To face eternal punishment, rather, for our sins. And that is the greatest fear, right? If we live a great life in this world, but we reach the, the hereafter. Imagine we stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet doesn't come to our aid to intercede on our behalf. Imagine... When the people are thirsty, they go and Rasulullah is taking out the, the water from the Hawd al-Kawthar, from that pond which has been gifted to him by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he's giving it to people with his own hands. That we come to Rasulullah and he says no. Right? Or imagine the angels come. There's a hadith that the angels will come to the Prophet on that day as people have come to Rasulullah to drink and they will say that you don't know what they did after you. So they will not be given this water and they will stop. Imagine, like, where, will we, where are we going to turn on that day? And that is the greatest fear, right? Or that fear that after everyone has been brought out of Jahannam, everyone has been brought out of Jahannam, eventually been forgiven from their sins, whoever will be forgiven, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring a sheep in between Jannah and Jahannam and it will be slaughtered. 
and then this will be the last death that takes place. And after that moment, there will be no more transferring from Jahannam to Jannah. That's it. If you're in Jahannam, you're in Jahannam. Imagine the fear on that day, at that moment. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us and save us all. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, He says in a hadith, hadith Qudsi, you guys remember what Hadith Qudsi is? Hadith Qudsi, there were several types of revelation. Right? Hadith Qudsi is revelation Allah Ta'ala gave to Rasulullah but it is not a part of Qur'an. It is not recited as a part of Qur'an. So we'll find it in books of Hadith and the Prophet will say that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala has said and then he will quote. Right? But it is not a part of Qur'an. So this was something that was inspired to Rasulullah So in one Hadith Qudsi, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says that to say La ilaha illallah is my fortress and whoever enters into my fortress is safe from my punishment. So this shows that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mu'min. That he, by testifying and bearing witness to the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he has provided safety and security and allowed us to enter into his fortress and saved us from, uh, from that, eternal, uh, that eternal fear. And it's interesting that they, they mention also that what is this, uh, the ulama mentioned that la ilaha illallah, the concept of la ilaha illallah, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions in the Quran, he says, وَلَوْ أَنَّ أَهْلَ الْقُرَىٰ آمَنُوا وَاتَّقَوْ لَفَتَحْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ بَرَكَاتٍ مِّنَ السَّمَاءِ وَالْأَرْضِ That if the people and the inhabitants of the city, if they were to have believed, آمَنُوا If they had believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَاتَّقَوْ And they had taqwa, meaning they had that consciousness and that fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, لَفَتَحْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ We would definitely have opened up for them, بَرَكَاتٍ مِّنَ السَّمَاءِ وَالْأَرْضِ The blessings from the heavens and the earth. If they had taqwa and they believed, if they believe La ilaha illallah, we would have opened up the treasures of the dunya and the, the, the heavens and the earth for them. Walakin kathabu. But they denied. They disbelieved. But they denied, so we seized them for what they used to do. This tells us that our own actions are the actions which bring our destruction. Bima kanu yaksibun. And we spoke about this last week, right? That the rust that came on their hearts because of what they earned, because of what we used to do. That it is because of our actions, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will seize us and punish us. But if we believe and we live a life of taqwa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will open from places we would never have imagined and He will make ways out for us. Right? He will make ways out for us. And then Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, he brings a, he brings a verse of Qur'an and he says that there's no security in the world unless it be derived from intermediaries which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone creates and guides us in using them. And then he brings a verse of Qur'an that says, قَالَ رَبُّنَا الَّذِي أَعْطَى كُلَّ شَيْءٍ خَلَقَهُ ثُمَّ هَدَى That our Rabb is the one who gives everything. He creates it and then he guides. So this is telling us of that concept of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being mu'min because he created all the facets all the tools for us and the ways out for us, and then He guides us to them. So you can take this in a, in a, in a dunyawi sense, that He gives us the tools and, and then guides us to be able to use them. Right? He inspires us, He gives us that knowledge, um, the ability to study and research, to use the different tools that He's given us in this world to make, give us a comfortable life. But then, thumma also you can understand it in an ukhrawi sense, in an imani sense, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us those tools to guide us. He gave us the ability to guide us. He brings the scholars around us. He brings the tools around us. Even those things that we study in the world, right? The sciences that we study in the world. These things should lead us to belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us 
that, uh, that ability to be able to come to the conclusion that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one. Then he gives us his counsel and he says, whoever believes in Allah in the last day, um, it is actually, he brings a, he says, that a man's share in this name, a man's share in this name and attribute lies in all creatures being safe from him. Moreover, every fearful person can anticipate help from him in keeping harm away from them, whether in religious or worldly affairs. So our share is to try and bring safety and security to all those around us. And then he brings the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ wherein he said, when somebody believes in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the last day, then his neighbor is safe from his misdeeds. And this is how we can take a share of the, the, the belief of mu'min uh, or the name of mu'min from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he says that those men will be most worthy of the name faithful or loyal of mu'min who are instrumental in protecting a man from the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by guiding him to the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and directing him on the path of salvation. This is the vocation of prophets and scholars and to that effect the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam uh, for, he, for, indeed he, for he said, indeed you are rushing back into the fire as moths flock to it and I am pulling you back. So the Prophet ﷺ was also mu'min because he saved us from the fire just as a moth goes towards light. And then he says that, he brings up a question. He says, how can somebody, how can we say that, or a question might arise that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that causes fear, how can he also be the one that causes safety and security? He says this is no problem because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he also humbles people and he honors people. He rewards people and he punishes people. So it is, it is not contradictory to say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causes fear and also causes safety and security. And we discussed why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes brings uh, fear and then also brings security. And Imam Ghazali said, you cannot truly realize safety without first having realized fear. Then the scholars, they write that um, there's a... There's a I think he was an Algerian scholar, Al-Sayyid Al-Masawi, Rashad Al-Masawi, something to that effect. He said that there's no security without mentioning the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the verse that brings, and uh, there's no security without mentioning the name of Allah ta'ala. And this verse brings security of the heart. Which verse? Alladheena amanu wa tatma'innu qulubuhum bi dhikrillahi ala bi dhikrillahi tatma'innu qulub. That verily, he says that those who believe and have soundness of heart, have soundness of heart by the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by the mentioning of the name of Allah, that behold, verily in the hearts, in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, do the hearts find rest. So then he, and then he says, That whoever turns away from my remembrance, then indeed for him, uh, for, for him will be a very narrow path. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, these are two verses. Whoever makes remembrance of me and makes my dhikr, for him the hearts will find rest, will have a restful and sound heart. And whoever turns away from my remembrance, then for him will be a narrow path. This brings to light the, men- the, the idea that we have to constantly be making dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, my, my father was, he was born in 1940 or 1939, right? They don't know exactly when he was born. 1940. And 1947 was the partition from Pakistan and India. And so <clears throat> he was about six to seven years old. There was a lot of killing and bloodshed that was happening at that time. And uh, he says that they lived in this compound. And several times there was a whole group, because you know relations between Hindus and Muslims, unfortunately, are not very good. So there was a whole group of Hindus that came from a neighboring um, village and they came with torches and guns and weapons and they wanted to come into that house and they wanted to 
kill everyone, right? So my father says he was about seven years old. There was only like two guns in the house. There was like 50 or 60 people staying in that compound. There was about 15 men and the rest were women and children. And so they sent all the, they sent all the uh, women and children to the back and all the men came in the front. But there was like 15 of them. And they told everyone, start reciting, La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu minan dhalimeen. Start reciting this verse. Right? And so they started reciting. Everyone's reciting, everyone's reciting, reciting. And uh, the, the Hindus, they never came across the street. Right? They never came across the street and entered. And they came again a few days later, same, same, same thing happened, same result. And again a few days later, same result. So he said that there were, there were Hindu women that used to come and bring milk. Right, every few days to the compound, they used to bring milk and they used to socialize with the other Muslim women. So they said that, where did you guys get all these people from? And the women are saying, what do you mean? They said, yeah, we heard about, you know, those, those like, whatever, whatever you want to call them. What's the word? Not bandits, but like, yeah, these like gangs or whatever, right, that came. Um, this group of people that came to, to kill everybody, right? And they never entered. But what we're hearing in the, in the villages is that there was like thousands of men dressed in white standing at the front of the house. Where did all these people come from? And he said, there's only like 15 men. Right? This is a story that my father used to tell us, right, that happened in his lifetime. So this tells us that remembrance in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings rest to the hearts, and also remembrance in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and as the other scholar mentioned, that safety and security cannot be attained except through the mentioning of the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he actually says that one must undertake the path of conviction. He, he says, what are the benefits of, of knowing the meaning of the name Mu'min? He says, one must undertake the path of conviction, starting with meditation, till he forms an accurate belief. Then he has to uphold Islam as a doctrine and a way of life. Then let him mention the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often. If he does all of this, his supplication will surely be answered. So let him invoke Allah to, firm, to, firm true conviction in, to form true conviction in his heart. The conviction that saves him from the paths of the perils, of perils, the one that permits him to inherit security and contentment. So he says we have to begin meditating. We have to begin making the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if we do this, and then we live a life of taqwa, then we will bring firm conviction of iman into our hearts. Bring firm conviction of iman into our hearts. And once that is established, then you but lift your hands and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins to answer. Right? And He starts answering our du'as and our supplications. And then we will find the path to contentment. Yeah. La ilaha illa anta. La ilaha illa anta is there is no deity except for you. Inni kuntu. What is it? La ilaha illa anta. Subhanaka. Inni kuntu min al-dhalimin. Subhanaka. Glory be to you. Right. Subhana is like glory be to you, or you are free from um, all. Uh, free from all. What's it called? Free from all fault, right? Subhanaka inni kuntu min al-dhalimin. Indeed, I. Um, uh, indeed, what? Inni kuntu min al-dhalimin. Um, like sort of, I testify. What is it? No, inni kuntu min al-dhalimin. Huh? Yeah, inni kuntu min al-dhalimin. Sorry, I am from those. I am from one of the oppressors. So there's no deity except you. Glory be to you. I am from one of the oppressors. So this is a way of humbling ourselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That I have, I am somebody who brings dhulma to the people. I am someone that brings darkness to the people and to myself. Yeah. I think this was said by Yunus alayhi salam. 
when he was in the belly of the whale, he used to make this dua, and uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought him out of the whale and brought him to safety and security. He kept him in safety in the whale, and then he brought him out of it also. Right? He brought him out of it also. I wanted to do Al-Muhaymin, because it's not very long, but it's kind of towards the end. Should we do, leave that for next time? So we don't have to like rush through it. Right, but it, so it's interesting that he says uh, that this other scholar, this Algerian scholar, Al-Sayyid Rashad al-Musawi, he says that one must undertake to the path of conviction with meditation. Does anybody meditate here? Uh, salah is a kind of meditation. Yeah. Yeah. What's uh, the definition of meditation from an Islamic perspective? Right. It's a good question. What does that mean, right? Meditation. Like our salah is a kind of meditation, but our salah, we're making it. Salah is a perfect, it's the best meditation. But we're making it, and we're making it in complete heedlessness. <clears throat> right? One of my teachers, he says that if we were to make just two rakah of salah with the amount of khushur, the amount of concentration that we are meant to have in our salah, it would be enough to rectify all of our spiritual ailments, remove all the vices of our hearts. Imagine getting angry for no good reason, having lust or having jealousy and envy, malice towards people, greed, all these things. Just two rakah salah would be enough if we made it the way we're supposed to. But we're not making it the way we're supposed to. So how do we attain it? We discussed a few weeks ago from Imam Nawawi's book, Riyadh al-Salihin, and his hadith book, his hadith compilation. The hadith of Jibreel. The hadith of Jibreel. You guys remember that hadith? Anybody that wasn't here, basically what happened is... Umar radiallahu he says that Rasulullah we were sitting with him and a man comes to the Prophet and he had jet black hair and his clothes were shining bright white. He had no signs of travel on him, but we didn't recognize him either. So either, you know, if he was a traveler, his clothes shouldn't have been so shining. They should have been dusty because he was through the desert. Yet, you know, if, he was, if his clothes were fresh and new, then we should have recognized him because he shouldn't have been a traveler. He should have been with us already. So we didn't recognize him, but he had no signs of travel. And he sits down knee to knee with the Prophet ﷺ, and he puts his hands on his thighs and he says, What is? Iman. And so the Prophet ﷺ says, Iman is to believe in Allah and believe in his messengers and believe in his angels and believe in his books and believe in the last day and so on and so forth. And he says, You are correct. And so Umar Adnan says, We're shocked and astonished because the questioner is affirming the answer. Right? The person who asked the question is affirming that the person who gave the answer gave the correct answer, right? And so then he says, and what is Islam? And the Prophet ﷺ said, to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to make salah, to pay zakat, to fast Ramadan, to go for hajj. So he says, you are correct. And again, he affirmed the, the answer. Then he says, what is Ihsan? And the Prophet ﷺ said, uh, to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as though you see Him, right? That if you, to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as though you see Him, and if you do not, then know that He sees you. Know that He sees you. And Ali radiallahu anhu, he said that if Jannah and Jahannam were to be brought in front of me, it wouldn't change the way I live my life. So Ali, Ali radiallahu anhu, and the rest of the Sahaba, they attained this. Right? So it's not, it's not far-fetched. To worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as though you see him because if you see like we know if a, when we know a camera is on us we don't do anything wrong we don't cross the red light because we know a camera is on us we don't even cross the stop sign because we think there might be a cop waiting <laughs> right we probably there isn't but there might be we don't even do that 
So if we realized that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching us at every single moment, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an, He says that He is watching us with mirsad. That He is watching us. What does mirsad mean? Mirsad means that when you have a hunter and he's, you know, he's knocked his bow, right? Or he's, put, he's, he's cocked his gun and he's about to fire at that animal, how he becomes kind of oblivious to everything around him, but at the same time, so much more aware of everything directly in his vicinity. He can tell exactly what, you know, like he knows exactly how the leaves are moving. He knows exactly every movement of that movement of the animal. He even holds his breath with so much intent that he watches the animal before he pulls the trigger. That's, with how, that's how much intent Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has when he's watching every single one of us at all times. That's how closely Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala watches us. If we had this realization, we would never do anything wrong, right? Never would we do anything wrong, right? We might be, we might like scold our wife, right? We might say something to our wife, but then all of a sudden when our father is around, right? Or when her father is around, we're so nice and soft and sweet, right? <laughs> right? Or when people are around, when we're in public, we're soft and sweet. Then we get in the car and then we, right? Our true nature comes out. So when, if we had this realization that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching us, we wouldn't harm, we wouldn't do anything wrong. So how is this attained? Imam uh, Nawawi, rahimullah, he brings this hadith of Jibreel, and the hadith goes on also. He brings this hadith, and he titles it, Babul Muraqaba, the chapter of Muraqaba. Muraqaba is a type of meditation, that you sit and you reflect on yourself. You sit and reflect on yourself and your actions. So many ulama do this in many different ways. Right? Some of them, they, they imagine themselves dying. <laughs> right? They sit with their eyes closed, they make dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? La ilaha illallah, subhanallah, alhamdulillah, whatever, however many times. And then they sit with their eyes closed and imagine themselves dying. Not necessarily like a painful death, but they imagine the people gathered around them, the angel of death coming to them, removing their soul from their body. They imagine themselves being made ghusl of and kafan, right? Being washed and, and being bathed and uh, clothed and then being taken to the cemetery, buried, and then the people leaving them. And then the angels coming and questioning them. They, they picture this, right? The ulama of the past, they used to dig a grave in their house and lie down in it, <laughs> right? Another way of making muraqabah, sometimes people sit and they reflect over all of their actions for the day. What was everything that they did? And then they pinpoint the, the negative things that they did, how they might have harmed people, and they think about those things, right? They reflect on it. But one of the most powerful ways of muraqabah is that the ulama sit and they, they close their eyes and they sort of focus their attention towards their heart. And not the physical heart, but the spiritual heart. So what, what is the spiritual heart? Right? The Prophet ﷺ, he said that whenever we commit a sin, a dark mark appears on our heart. So then we see people, sinners, we see people who have never, who don't even, who are not even Muslim, heart surgeries are done on them, and their hearts are totally, there's no darkness on them. So what, was the Prophet ﷺ lying? Now the bill, of course not. He was talking about the spiritual heart. And then when you make toba, then that dark, that dark mark is removed, right? So the spiritual heart. And they say the spiritual heart is just next to the physical heart. And they close their eyes and they imagine the mercy and the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala coming because it's always descending into this world. They imagine this rahmah coming into their hearts and they don't say anything with their tongue. But with their hearts, they try and listen for their hearts to say Allah, Allah, Allah. And it's very difficult. So what starts happening is you start thinking of everything else that you've ever done. You'll remember things that you don't even realize you remember. You'll remember the lyrics to songs that you don't even, you know, you forgot they existed. You'll remember things that you did, things that you saw, conversations that you had. You'll, all these things will start coming to light that distract you from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
likely it's going to be all those things that you also think about in Salah. That you also think about in Salah. And so the ulama say that this is because they are distractions of our heart from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are the types of filth in our heart. Right? It is a type of filth because it is distracting us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So just as you take a container, a jar or a jug of water that's filled with dirty water, then you pour clean water into it. What happens? All the filth comes from the bottom and it comes out of the top. Right? So all the filth surfaces and after it's all cleared out, then the clean water is there and then it's, it's only clean and pure water. So our hearts are a container. And the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that descends into it brings this, it cleans it out, it cleans out that filth. So if we meditate in this manner, then firm conviction starts coming into our heart of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You don't do this during salah, right? Then when you stand in salah, you don't imagine like the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No, you just make your salah. But then your salah becomes more sound, more conscious. And then you'll start realizing more control over your affairs and your actions, more control over your heart. Questions? Does that sound weird to anybody? Yeah. So we have to, um, we have to, this muraqaba is actually a very uh, beneficial method, right? Secondly, we have to, before we go for our salah, we should also start thinking. Like we shouldn't say, oh, let me make my salah real quick. I'll be right back. No, we should think, okay, now I'm going to go and I'm going to make my wudu and I'm going to stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I'm going to worship Him. I'm going to put my head on the ground and I'm going to show Him my humility and show Him that I am nothing. Like the ground is just as low as I can go, but I am lesser than that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? As far as my comparison to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I'm going to worship Him and my being, and my, my creator rather, right? So we realize this. Try to sit for a few minutes before making salah and just make a little bit of dhikr, right? Say, Astaghfirullah Rabbi min kulli dhambi wa right? I seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I make tawbah for my sins. Hasbi Allahu ni'mal wakil. Say, Alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar. La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. Say these types of things, right? Subhanallah. Send salawat on the Prophet Make a little bit of dhikr before salah. Right? Also make a sunnah or a nafil before salah. Then when we stand for our salah, inshallah, we'll be, we'll be kind of in the state of mind for our salah, right? Rather than like, we, you know, we're, we're with our friends doing whatever and then we get up quickly, we rush for our salah and we're thinking about the conversation. We make our salam and then we start our conversation again right away, <laughs> right? Sometimes people will be sitting and they're waiting. You know, you're waiting to make salah and you're waiting for more people to come. You're sitting with your friends, you start talking. No, don't talk, just sit and make a little bit of dhikr, right? And then when we're not in salah, we should try and think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Think about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When we start employing some of these tactics, then inshallah in our salah, at least we'll be thinking about them. At least we'll be thinking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? But... It's interesting that Imam Ghazali and the other, the other authors, the ulama, they mention these types of meditation, specifically meditation. They don't just say make dhikr, they say meditation. Right? So this type of muraqabah that we mentioned, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, what do you say? Uh, wadkur, uh, what is it? Um, something I can't remember exactly. Remember the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Fi nafsik. Right? In your nafs. What's the verse? He says, remember the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your nafs. nafs. Nafs can mean your lower self. It can also mean your heart. Remember the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your heart. So Allah ta'ala says this, the verse of Quran. What does that mean? It doesn't mean with the tongue. It means in your heart. Sit and try and, sit and, try and say Allah with your heart. 
right? Just imagine it saying Allah, 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 right? Start doing, take a few minutes out of the day and do these things. Right? The Prophet ﷺ, he used to go to the cave of Hira and he used to do what? He used to meditate. He didn't have salah. Salah, he wasn't even, revelation hadn't been given to him. I'm not saying he meditated in this way exactly, right? But he used to meditate. And meditation is very powerful. Right? Meditation is very powerful um, in fighting your nafs and bringing your nafs into control and check. And that's why the ulama mentioned this stuff, right? Meditate. Like, we think meditation, oh, that's like Buddhist stuff, man. Right? Buddhists are like Sufis without the Sharia, right? <laughs> you know? So Sufis, to be sound Sufis, they have to have the Sharia also. They can't go out, out of the bounds of Sharia, right? Sometimes you'll come across somebody who says, oh, I'm a Sufi. You know, oh, mashallah, you're a Sufi. I had a friend in university, and they said that they came across this, this person who said that uh, they were a Sufi. So they were talking, talking, talking. Then my friend said, okay, let's, let's go pray. And this, this Sufi, quote-unquote, said, oh, I don't need to pray. I've reached a place with Allah that I don't need to pray because I remember him all the time. SubhanAllah, the Prophet used to pray till his feet swelled at night and you don't need to pray. Like what measure, what degree have you reached, proximity have you had with Allah? Those are the, the goofy Sufis, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> like they have no, they've gone out of the bounds of Sharia and that's, they've gone into Bidat. And there's a lot of them around, right? So we have to be careful also. We have to be careful of those things also. Right? Any other questions? Yeah. So do you know who that is and why he was Yeah, so so the hadith goes on and he asks the Prophet that, you know, when is the last day? And Rasulullah says that the the questioner knows no more than the one being questioned. Right? Meaning I uh, you don't know and I don't know when the last day is. So then he says, What are the signs of the last day? And the Prophet gives him the signs before the day of judgment that will come. And then this man gets up and he leaves. He walks off and then he's gone. Right? So the Rasul, uh, Prophet ﷺ, he turns to the Sahaba and he says, do you know who that was? And they say, you know, Allah and His Messenger know best. And he says, that was Jibreel Islam, and he came to teach you your religion. So Jibreel Islam came to tell the Sahaba, like to, you know, teach the Sahaba. Sometimes the Sahaba were a little shy in asking questions, right? Sometimes, you, like Aisha, she used to ask a lot of questions, right? And so like, she was very young, and you find this amongst people that are very young. The Bedouins also used to come and ask a lot of questions. The Sahaba, you know, the Bedouins, like, they didn't have as much the type of adab typically you should have had with him, but they were just kind of rough in nature, you know? And so when they would come, they would like, kind of call things out. You know, one time the Prophet made five rakat, or made like three rakats of salah, right? Or five rakats, something like that. And so this Bedouin stands up, and he's like, has the, you know, how come you, did, how come you only made, how come you made five rakat? So the Prophet he looks to the companions, he says, did I make five? And they kind of like nod their head, right? They were shy, but the Bedouins would just ask these questions. So the Sahaba would get happy when the Bedouins would come because they would ask the questions they were a bit shy to ask. So he says that this was Jibreel Islam and he came to teach you your religion. So we have these three concepts, Iman, Islam, and Ihsan. What sciences did they turn into? Iman turned into the science of Aqidah, our belief system, right? What we believe. Right, Allah, uh, belief in Allah, His messengers, His books, so on and so forth. We have Islam. From those five pillars came the, the science of fiqh, right? The science of fiqh, our laws and ahkam, rulings. And what happened to Ihsan? We we forget about Ihsan. We leave that out. That is the science of. Does anybody know? No, guesses. I think some people are a bit shy also. <laughs> this was the science of. Tazkiyah, purification of the heart, right? Tazkiyah, tasawwuf, whatever you want to call it, right? But purification of the heart, which is absolutely necessary. 
Because as we mentioned last time, the Prophet ﷺ said that you will not enter Jannah with even a mustard seed of, of arrogance in the heart. And a mustard seed of pride. So it's required on us to remove pride from us. Right? And the, the other vices of the heart. Any other questions? اللهم انت السلام انك السلام تبارك يا ذا الجلال والاكرام سمعنا وطعنا غفرانك ربنا واليك المصير اللهم اغفر لنا ذنوبنا وطهر قلوبنا وحسن فروجنا ربنا هب لنا من ازواجنا وذرياتنا قرة اعين واجعلنا للمتقين اماما ربنا لا تزغ قلوبنا بعد اذ هديتنا وهب لنا من لدنك رحمه انك انت الوهاب يا الله forgive us of our sins يا الله forgive us of our major and minor sins those sins which we did publicly those sins which we did privately يا الله fashion us as though uh, the way you would want to see us Ya Allah, Ya Allah, grant us tawfiq to walk on the path of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, to follow his sunnah, Ya Allah, to follow his sharia, Ya Allah. Let us love to follow his sunnah, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, make Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam beloved to us. Make, ya Allah, let, let yourself be beloved to us, Ya Allah, and you love us, and that Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam love us. Ya Allah, inspire us to do good. Ya Allah, grant us good company. Ya Allah, grant us the company that pleases you. Ya Allah, let us be those people who guide others to Islam. Ya Allah, let us guide, let us be those who guide others to the straight path. And grant us the tawfiq. Ya Allah, grant us the success of, of walking on the straight path ourselves. Ya Allah, let us fulfill all the ahkam which are required upon us. Ya Allah, let us go more and fulfill all the nawafil, Ya Allah, that would please you, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, let us live a life that is pleasing to you. Grant us a death that is pleasing to you and raise us on Yawm Al-Qiyamah with those that have pleased you. Ya Allah, all those that are suffering throughout the world, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, forgive them and remove their suffering and their ailments from them and their sicknesses from them, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, forgive our parents, our teachers and our mashaykh, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, grant us a place under your perfect and supreme shade on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Ya Allah, let us have a swift passage across the Sirat into Jannah, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, grant us the highest stages of Jannah without any accountability. Let us drink from the hands of our beloved Habib Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the Hawd Al-Kawthar which you have promised him. Ya Allah, let us have ru'ya of you on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Ya Allah, be pleased with us and let Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam be pleased to have us and proud to have us in his Ummah. Ya Allah, let us be those who intercede on others' behalf on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Ya Allah, grant us the highest stages of Jannah. Ya Allah, we beg of you and ask you for all the good that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam asked you for and we seek refuge in you from all the harm and evils that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam sought refuge in you from اللهم أغننا بالعلم وزيننا بالحلم وأكرمنا بالتقوى وجملنا بالعافية اللهم إننا نسألك من خير ما سألك منه نبيك محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر ما استعاد منه نبيك محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وأنت المستعان عليك البلاغ ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلامنا المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين Sorry we went over today إن شاء 